This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting for financial security for our seniors. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Zneimer. Doctors normally make life-altering or even potentially life-ending decisions about their patients, but in this case, it's the life of a Toronto doctor who's been in Israel since shortly after the Hamas massacre. And if you or a loved one continue receiving mental health care virtually, be it always or sometimes, Canada's largest group for psychology has new guidelines regarding telepsychology and like so many things, because of the pandemic. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. After saying so long to daylight saving time till the spring, and although an hour of change may not seem like a lot, it is disruptive to those with dementia. It leads to confusion and potentially worse symptoms for those with dementia, including Alzheimer's, who already suffer from sleep disturbances. Experts say that may affect up to a quarter with mild dementia and half of those with severe dementia. Critics have been pushing to end the twice-annual clock change, pointing to an increased risk of strokes and heart attacks and higher rates of depression in the general population due to less sunlight. A restaurant over in Japan is a beautiful example of socially including those with dementia. The Restaurant of Mistaken Orders in Tokyo says you have about a one in three chance of getting your order right. And that's okay. It employs people with dementia as servers. Customers who eat there know this as well. It's all just part of the experience to increase kindness and reduce isolation for those with cognitive impairment. The owner says it's a win-win and that it's not about whether orders are right or not. The important thing is the interaction with people who have dementia and that 99% of those who visit leave feeling happy. Snowbirds heading south are being warned. Eye drops sold at U.S. stores, including CVS, Rite Aid, and Target, could cause blindness. The Food and Drug Administration warning the more than two dozen products were made in an unsanitary facility with a potential for eye infections that could result in partial vision loss or even blindness. The FDA's posted the full list of the products on its website. It's warning customers to immediately stop using the 26 products and dispose of them properly following FDA guidelines. Saskatchewan passed a new law protecting workers' rights around wearing a poppy in the workplace in remembrance of veterans during November. It asserts that provincial employees have the right to wear a poppy at work if... It doesn't pose a danger to health or safety. Ontario and Manitoba have similar legislation. One Saskatchewan MPP told the legislature there are a few cases where workers were asked 
to remove the poppies as the symbol was not, quote, seen to be neutral. When in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state. Dame Judi Dench left fans stunned when she recited a Shakespeare sonnet on a UK talk show. The 88-year-old delivered a beautiful rendition of Shakespeare's Sonnet 29 from memory, leaving host Graham Norton speechless. She was appearing on the show to promote her new memoir, Shakespeare, The Man Who Pays the Rent. The legendary actress says she and her late husband both appeared in Shakespeare plays for four years when they first met, so it literally paid the rent. Before reciting the sonnet, she spoke about Shakespeare's influence, saying without even knowing it, we quote him all the time. I'm Bob Comsick, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. When medicine called, Brad Strauss answered. A cardiologist at Toronto Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre for years, he answered another call in early October when he, like the world, witnessed the terrorist attack against Israel and decided to head there to try to save lives. I've been very involved with Israel uh, since I was a child. Uh, In fact, I became an Israeli citizen about a year ago. I have dual citizenship. I've been, uh, I've had an apartment in Israel for many years. I've trained many Israelis in interventional cardiology at uh, Sunnybrook Hospital and also at St. Michael's prior to that. So I have many friends and colleagues along the way that are very important to me. And uh, it's a very, it's a very important part of my life. Where are you exactly so that we can paint a mental picture? Where are you? The hospital I'm working at is in a place called Afula. It's actually in the northern part of the country, uh, towards the east part of it. It's just below the Sea of Galilee. If you drew a line between so the, the, the Sea of Galilee and, and Haifa, which is on the Mediterranean, it's a little bit south of that, but it's in the, the northern third of the country. What's it like where you are? Because we do see, obviously, in, in other parts of this conflict where some uh, hospitals have sustained damage, but in, in your case, fortunately not? So I actually have an apartment uh, just south of Tel Aviv. And on the weekends, I've gone there. And at least twice a day when I've been in uh, that that place called Batyam, uh, there have been missile alerts, uh, red alerts here where you have to run for cover. And that's happened at least twice a day, every day that I've been there. Uh, Afula is hasn't uh, hasn't faced those those alarms in the same way, but it is very much uh, in the uh, in the in the aim of uh, the Hezbollah rockets, which are to the north. Uh, so far, uh, they've sent rockets and missiles to the north north of Israel above us, but have not yet had any of the alarms in Afula. Uh, we're also very close to the West Bank, just a, a few kilometers away from Jenin. And there are ongoing operations that are occurring in the West Bank. So there's always uh, threats from, from that area as well. So no, no place in Israel is really safe. But in terms of having active missiles uh, directed towards us, uh, the place I'm in has, had, it has not been having them, at least until now. It's been more in the south up to Tel Aviv and occasionally a bit further north into Jerusalem. What's it 
like in terms of the conditions at the hospital and obviously the capacity? Are you uh, at capacity or well above it? Yeah, that, it's a great question. Like, first of all, uh, about a number, of, a very large number of people have been evacuated from the north of Israel, from Kiryat Shmona and the Tula. Uh, you know, and the tens of thousands have moved into this area. The hospital is is a you know is a large, fairly large hospital, at least medium to large hospital, about six hundred and fifty beds, which is similar around Sunnybrook. Uh, it's the largest hospital in the north, in the sort of east north part of of Israel. So far, we we have uh, we certainly have been able to take care of all the patients that have come in, but there are a lot of ongoing preparations to move the hospital underground in case the missiles uh, are directed towards the hospital here in Afula. And if that happens, that's going to be a major uh, change and uh, pressure on the hospital to look after all the patients because uh, we don't have the, the same number of beds once we go to the underground. Uh, organization of the hospital, and it requires a, a fair amount of movement of equipment and and uh, resources around. So that's been undergoing now in preparation for maybe uh, the next phase, which hopefully won't be, but they have to be ready. Are you concerned for your safety, or as a doctor, your your focus is solely on the patients? You haven't had much time to think about that, or do you do so when you're alone and have your time? Yeah, I mean, I think I, that's that's very uh, interesting question. I, I don't I don't think I dwell on it at all. Um, I think my family in Toronto dwells on it a lot more than I do. Uh, when I've been in the have the the missiles uh, and the alarms go when I'm in in, in Batyam, since I've been through that drill a number of times now, and, and I, there's a safe room where I where my apartment is, I, I feel fairly secure. I think the unknown is if you think about it. Is is quite worrisome uh, how this could escalate and expand into you know uh, a war on three three different fronts potentially maybe even more. Um, but right now I just focus on the day to day activities and you know why I came here. I don't certainly don't dwell on that and, and uh, it does hasn't really you know really affected me too much up to this point. How long do you plan on staying? Or that's the great unknown. My desire has been here, has been to be here until the situation improves. It's it's really difficult to know what's going to happen next. So I've been here now approximately three weeks. I don't have a flight scheduled back to Toronto, and I'm planning on staying here so I have a better idea of that, that things are starting to improve. Now, if that goes on for you know months at a time, that will be obviously more challenging for me given my family uh, and and work situation in Toronto, but I'm not in any hurry to leave right now. Dr. Brad Strauss, cardiologist at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre, speaking from Israel. I'm Bob Comsick, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, new telepsychology guidelines and why it was felt they're needed. We thought, okay, we think that we need some guidelines that really provide some good guidance to psychologists who are practicing, just to have them to be aware of all the different aspects of what they need to think about when they're doing telepsychology. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, helping you unlock money you didn't know you had. 
members-only discounts that can save you tons. Find out more at carp.ca. Welcome back. For many, the only way to see your doctor was in person. But like so many things in the world, March 11th, 2020 changed everything. Likely forever, in a lot of cases. That's why the Canadian Psychological Association decided it was necessary to come up with new telepsychology guidelines. Psychologist Dr. Elizabeth Church chaired the working group. Dr. Church, if we can, why the new guidelines? What prompted this? Well, I mean, with COVID, overnight, there was a seismic change in how psychologists were offering care. Before COVID, but only one survey showed there were only about 7 or 8% of psychologists who were doing that solely. And overnight, everybody, not everybody, but most people were catapulted into this new world. And it was became really clear that there were, I think, people were a bit surprised that there were a lot of benefits to psychology, but I think also people became aware, ooh, there's some potential risks and drawbacks. And so I, I was on the board of the Canadian Psychological Association uh, at that point, and we thought, okay, we think that we need some guidelines that really provide some good guidance to psychologists who are practicing, just to have them to be aware of all the, the different aspects of what they need to think about when they're doing telepsychology. And that includes you being a psychologist as well. That includes me. I was part of that seismic change. My life changed overnight, too. Yeah. How many of your patients now, percentage-wise, would you say come in person? Well, so, I mean, I, it, it's, it's a real hybrid model. So it's hard to say how many because people shift back and forth. So sometimes I might see someone in person, and the next week that person might say, yeah, I'm really crunched for work. Can we move online? So it's really that hybrid model that's happened. Uh, some people decided, and so I'm, I'm one person, so maybe 50-50, but I can't speak to what ha- is happening. But some people wanted to stay with online, and, with, and, and there are lots of people who also wanted to go back to in-person, but not always. Right? If the weather's bad, they might say, oh, can I can I jump online today or, you know, I'm running late. Can I jump online? So there, it, it is that more flexible model now, I would say. What about from your view and then the feedback you're getting from your patients? First of all, from your view, how you find operating in this manner? Yeah, so I probably I'll talk a little bit more broadly about the guidelines because I have my view, but then we, we learned a lot. We did a really broad consultation. Uh, and I say that it, to kind of talk about some of the benefits, I think people were a little bit surprised at how well it worked. I mean, there was lots of research before to show that a lot of interventions are equally effective, whether they're online or in person, but most people hadn't had that experience. And, and you know, certainly a lot of clients, for them, it was... Some people, were, there's a stigma in walking into a psychologist's office or a hospital, so they felt more comfortable being in their house, in their own space and doing it. So that was a real benefit. I've already talked about some of the flexibility. It also, for, the, for me as a psychologist and other psychologists, there's this flexibility for psychologists. If I'm traveling 
you know, in, I mean, if, my, if I'm not at home, I also have some flexibility. Now, we're also regulated, so we can't just, I can't go to the U.S. and start to see my clients. But within the province, I can certainly see people. If I'm not at home, I could, I, and I have private space, I could do it, as can other psychologists. Um, and I think that the other thing that I think is really important um, that we heard a lot in, is continuity of care. So if I'm seeing somebody and that person moves in the past, I would they would have to find a new psychologist. So as long as they're in a jurisdiction which I'm licensed to practice, I can continue to see them. Yeah. Uh, for example, in, in Atlantic Canada, if any psychologist, a psychologist in any of the four provinces can do telepsychology in the other three provinces. So I'm registered in Nova Scotia, but I can see clients who via telepsychology who live in Prince Edward Island, for example. So that was that, those kinds of things we really saw great advantages. Dr. Church, what's the intent of these guidelines? I think what, what we want from the guidelines is that they're really a guide to psychologists. So if you're planning to do telepsychology, here's what you need to think about. Here's some of the decisions you need to make if you're, if you're going to be doing a telepsychology. So you need to make sure that you have um, the technology that is secure and confidential. You need to think about, um, does your client have access to private space? Because certainly what happened, and I saw this, is that uh, someone was living in a very small space, and they there was no place for them to go in where they lived to talk about things that they needed to talk about. So as a psychologist, you really need to think about all of these um, aspects when you make the decision to do telepsychology. And based on that, you may decide, okay, in this instance, this may not be the right modality for somebody. Anything else you'd care to add, doctor? Yeah, I think that the other thing is that there's a real, what became clear and what we heard in our consultation, there's a real equity issue. So there's people who are living in places in, you know, in Canada who don't have broadband internet access, who may not be able to afford a computer, who don't have the private space. And so for telepsychology to really reach people effectively, we really need to make sure that we, we, we think about equity and access and not just about access. Okay, Dr. Elizabeth Church, I want to thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Okay, great. Nice talking to you. Psychologist Dr. Elizabeth Church, who chaired the group that worked on the new telepsychology guidelines. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Bob Comsick for Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.